0: Yeah, if you've got your Bibles turned to roof three, <clears throat> and while you're doing that, I'll just pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning. Um, to thank you that we can gather around your word, Lord, and around your table. Um, thank you for all the blessings, Lord, that you give us daily. Um, Lord, I just pray that as we come now to look at your word, Lord, that you would um, speak th- through it, Lord, that um, that your word, Lord, will come alive, Lord, um, and that we will learn from it. Lord, help it not to be of me. Help it to be of you. Amen. <coughs> so uh, we had a lovely week. Um, this week was Valentine's Day, big day in the calendar. Um, so Daphne, I saw you got a nice bunch of flowers. It was great on Facebook. Well done, Tom. <laughs> um, so my Valentine's Day, I was, I was sick, so I was off school. Um, and I thought, right, let's make a bit of an effort. Um, so I made Jill a lovely fry in the morning. Um, got up, she had it in bed, great. Um, and then she was out, so I looked after Levi. So that was two things. Then, (laughs) there's two things. Then I went down to um, the shop and I got her a bunch of flowers, root of cards, teddy bear, all that sort of stuff. Great. Then we went for dinner on Friday night. um, And then we watched a soppy movie, right? So perfect Valentine's Day. um, Went really well for Jill. And sort of got to the end of the evening. I was like, you know, it's a two way thing here, Jill. Like, what's going on? So apparently Levi is my Valentine's present. as well as my Christmas present and my birthday present. So we're probably not going to get anything else. But I bet you thought Valentine's Day was over and all the soppiness and all the love stories and all the chick flicks were all gone. But we've got Ruth three to deal with. Um, So we're going to delve into that. And this is a love story. Um, This is the best love story. Um, And the first time I read it, um, when I was preparing for this, um, you sort of read it and blush and you read it and It seems very provocative, and it seems very uh, risky, and it it, it seems nearly immoral when you read it the first time. Um, But when you look into it, there's so much more to it than that. Um, And I hope that this comes out um, in in what I find from it. So yeah, when you're reading it, um, think about the tension that's building. So we've looked at Ruth 1, and we've looked at Ruth 2 already with Ivan and Drew. And all of that happens over a period of time, so years and months. Ruth 3 all happens in one evening, so this whole passage happens in one evening, and the writer really builds the tension. Um, he really makes it very tense and very sort of, as you're reading it, you're just waiting for what's happening next. Um, but it's, it's important not to lose sight of what the story's about, so it's not just a love story about Ruth and Boaz who we've met already, it's, it's about God. Um, you know, Before this book is about a couple who are in love, it's about God and his love. And the other thing that is important to note before we read it is that I think a lot of the times in, when you read the Old Testament, you try and see God's character or God's, um, a, a part of God or a picture of Jesus in a character. Um, and a lot of the time that does happen in the Old Testament. Um, it's saturated with different um, images of Christ, and images of God. But in fact, we, we look at three characters here. We look at Naomi, we look at Ruth and we look at Boaz and all three of them have different pictures Um, of God and different um, attributes of of him so as we read through it um, don't just think of one of them Uh, and I know we have the temptation to think of Boaz as a picture of Christ and he is um, but all of them have different characteristics of God so let's read it before we start Ruth 3 verse 1 then Naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter should I not seek rest for you that it may may be well with you Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you are? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Watch therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a young woman laid his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. But arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garments you are wearing and hold hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. Um, so yeah there, there's sort of, it sort of breaks up into three different parts there. So we, we look at Naomi and what she tells Ruth to do. We look at Ruth and how she goes out and does what her mother-in-law says um, and then we look at how Boaz reacts to that so we see three characters really, really distinctly um, and Ruth chapter three is sort of as well a a transition. So we looked at Ruth one, and I suppose if you could sum up what happens in Ruth chapter one, you see that Ruth and Naomi have no food and no family. Okay, so their family have died and there's a famine in the land, so they've got no food and no family. And then we we go into our our chapter two um, with Drew last week. and They now have food because they've come back um, and they get into Boaz's field and they're able to glean from the field. So they've got food, but they still have no family. So food and no family. And Ruth chapter 3 is sort of the transition um, where they finally get food and a family. So they get the two things that they were missing. Um, chapter 4, that's when the family is complete. But chapter 3 is the lead into to that. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to try and go through this verse by verse, and hopefully we have time to get through it all. Um, so look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? Naomi is looking for the best for Ruth, so she wants Ruth to have rest. Um, they've had a hard life. They've gone through a lot of death in their family. You know, all of their family has died. Um, their sister-in-law and their their other daughter-in-law have left, has left and went back to Moab, um, and they have been through a lot of difficult times. Um, they've been through a famine. Um, and now, even though that they've got food, Ruth is working day and night to get it. Um, so Naomi wants rest for Ruth, but the word that she uses there for rest is more than just a lie down or a good night's sleep. It's a lasting, eternal rest. So it's it's kind of a picture of heaven. That's what Naomi wants for Ruth. She wants her to have eternal rest. Um, and that's really the, the underlying story of this passage. Um, look at verse 2. <clears throat> is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? Um, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, Reading that, it, it sounds a bit provocative. It sounds like Naomi's coming up with this great scheme for Ruth to go and sort of seduce Boaz and, you know, um, lie down with him and, you know, whatever. Um, but it's actually a very logical train of thought um, in those days. Um, Ruth is a, a widow. Um, she is an Israelite. She was a Moabite, but she's um, said in uh, Chapter 1 that um, Naomi's God will be her God, so she worships the true God. She is a Christian. Um uh she's a widow, um so she has a right to a kinsman redeemer, um and Drew touched on that last week. Um and Boaz is a potential redeemer for Ruth. Um but just before we talk a bit more about that, what is a kinsman redeemer? Well basically if um a man died um and he left a widow but no sons to carry on his name, um the man's brother should marry the wife or m- marry the widow. Um, and give her a son so that the man's name could be carried on Um, and that's basically what it is Um, and the kinsman redeemer who is Boaz is a picture of Christ and what he is for us he's our kinsman redeemer and there's three things that a kinsman redeemer had to have or three qualifications they needed in order to be a kinsman redeemer the first thing is they had to be related so um, the kinsman redeemer had to be a relation to the man who died Um, he couldn't be just some random person off the street who could you know come and marry this girl they had to be a blood relative Um, and that's a picture of Jesus because in Romans 8 and verse 29 we read that for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers so that's a picture of Jesus he is our kinsman redeemer and he is qualified to do that because he's related to us the second thing that they needed to have um, was they had to have the means to be able to redeem there was no point being related um, to the woman and being really poor and not being able to afford to maybe buy her out of slavery or to buy some land back or um, to sustain her and her family they had to have the means to be able to redeem we know that boaz did he was a wealthy man um, he owned a field he was able to you know meet the needs of ruth and naomi um, and christ is another picture of that um, and if we look at second corinthians 5 and 21 um, we read that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him So Jesus Christ became sin, and that's why he has the means to redeem us, how he's able to be our kinsman redeemer. And the last thing that they needed was they needed to be willing to redeem. So there was no point of a rich relative um, being a redeemer if he didn't want to be. He had to be willing to redeem. Um, And this is what we're going to find out about Boaz as we go through. But that's a picture of Christ in that um, he is very willing to redeem um, his people. And if we look at John 10 and 17 to 18, we read... For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer, and he's willing to. He can put, it, he put his life down, he lay his life down, and took it back up on his own accord. So he's our perfect redeemer, and that's what we learn from the kinsman redeemer in Ruth. Um, look at verse 3. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Naomi really knows how to appeal to men, right? She does three things. She tells Ruth, wash, put on your perfume, and don't interrupt him when he's eating, right? So, <laughs> any women, that's what you need to do. Um, but actually, it's more than that. It's not just um, Naomi telling Ruth to get yourself together and you know, get out of the house. It's more than that. It's... Naomi telling Ruth that she needs to finish mourning now for her husband. Um, It's potentially been over a year since her her husband's died, maybe more than that. Um, And Naomi's telling Ruth, look, it's time that you go and you find yourself a kinsman redeemer. The mourning has to come to an end. Um, And we see another picture of this in 2 Samuel. So David, um, David's son, dies. He has a young son um, and he dies. But the time of mourning comes to an end, and this is what we read in Second Samuel twelve twenty. Then David arose from the earth, and washed, and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went into his own house, and when he when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. So David does exactly the same thing in Second Samuel. It's it's a picture of time time to finish mourning. You know, the morning's over. We need to move on now. Um, we need to look forward to our Redeemer. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? You know, sometimes as Christians, and I know that this is me all the time, that, you know, you're always looking back at your sin and you're always looking back at things you've done in the past and, you know, you think you're not good enough and you think that, you know, you've messed up too many times for God's love to be there for you anymore. But we know that, you know, it's nothing to do with us. You know, grace is is more than what we've done in our lives and that the Lord loves us anyway, despite the failures and the, the feelings that we have. So it's important to look forward and not look back. Look at verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now again, this is building the tension, isn't it? It seems provocative to us, it seems like it's immoral and it's unrighteous, but actually it's quite the opposite. Um, culturally, in those times, to lie at someone's feet was a really big act of submission, um, a servant might have lay it at their master's feet um, in the night in case their master needed anything. Um, so this is humbleness. Um, you know, if, any, if, if a master needed anything, the, the slave was close by to go and do whatever they needed. So this is this is humbleness from Ruth. Um, and it's important to know that not only is Boaz sort of does he have the right to obtain Ruth, Ruth has the right, the legal right to a kinsman redeemer. So you know, Ruth. And Naomi could have schemed to walk up to Boaz in the middle of the day and demand to be redeemed, but that's not how Ruth and Naomi approach it. They approach it in humbleness, they approach it in with care, and they come humbly to the feet of the Redeemer. Um, and is that a challenge for us as well? You know, Do we come to God with our pompous, self-centered requests? Do we come and demand you know, our prayers to be answered, or do we come humbly? Do we approach him with care, do we approach him with um, the due diligence and the um, the, the humbleness that that we should. Um, do we come to the throne of grace like that? Um, that's a challenge for us as well. He will tell you what to do. The end of verse 4. That again, you know, building the tension. It seems like a big risk. You know, you, you come up to this man, a single bachelor, and you expect him to tell you what to do. You know, I think we all know what we think when we read that. Um, and it seems that impure disaster is impending. It seems that You know, there's only one way this is going to end, and it's not going to be pure. Um, And I suppose that's the social climate that we live in. It's probably the social climate that Ruth and Naomi lived in as well. We know that this is the tail end of the judges, and um, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So we can see where even an Old Testament reader would have saw and would have thought this was going. But it's not. Um, Look at verse 5. And she said, and, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. So this sort of shows the character of Ruth. Um, it shows maybe what sort of wife she would be. Definitely shows what sort of person she would be. Um, she's submissive to people in authority. So Naomi's the older woman um, and Ruth takes her advice and is humble and submiss- submissive to it. Um, and that's a challenge to us. You know, Do you take advice to people who are um, older than you or people in general? You know, or do you try and do things your own way? Um, and, you know, as a wife, are you submissive to your husband? You know, do you, um, do you allow him to lead you? And men, that's a bigger responsibility for us. Do we lead our, our wives properly in Christ? You know, men always talk about this wife they want who's submissive and who does all they say. But, you know, do we do all that Christ says and do we lead in that way? You know, that's a challenge for me, definitely. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Um, So the threshing floor, um, that was something that happened at the the end of the barley season, so after the harvest was finished. um, They threshed or they winnowed the barley. Um, And Basically, the threshing floor would have been somewhere high, so maybe at the top of a hill or the side of a mountain. Um, And Basically, it's a hole dug on the ground and then flattened um, at the bottom. They put all the barley in it, and then they get some ox or cattle to walk around in circles to crush all of the the grain out from the the barley. And then what would happen um, is that the workers would go round with pitchforks and they would toss it all up into the air. um, And the breeze of the evening would have taken away all the chaff and left all the grain to fall back in because it was heavy. Um, Quite um, hard work. um, Quite an aggressive way to get rid of the grain. um, Would have have completely crushed the grain. Um, And I suppose that's a picture as well of Christ's death for us. Um, you know, he went to the threshing floor and he was winnowed for us. You know, we, we look at Isaiah 53 and we see, you know, what, what Christ went through when he died for us. Um, so I suppose that's a picture of Christ's death. Um, verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Um, Boaz sleeps at the end of the Heap of grain for a really good reason, um, so we're in a an, a time where everyone's doing right in their own eyes. So we're in a time of political social instability. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of grain. That's their full harvest, possibly. Um, so there would have been thieves or robbers or people who wanted to steal it, definitely around in the area. Um, so Boaz sleeps here to guard his grain. Um, he he wants to avoid a situation that you know we read we we can read. Um, in the Bible in 1st Samuel 23 verse 1 um, and where David um, is told behold the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floor so this happens often um, threshing floors um, are robbed um, so that's why Boaz sleeps there. Um, verse 8, at midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold a woman lay at his feet he said who are you and she replied I am Ruth your servant spread your wings over your servant for your redeemer I think that's a, a great reply. Just imagine yourself lying at a, you know, your grain heap, um, knowing that there's possibly thieves and robbers in the area. Someone startles you, um, you find someone lying at your feet, and you're, you ask, who are you? you? know, I think I would like to have been there to see how Boaz asked, who are you? Um, maybe there would have, you know, wouldn't have been so calm, as it seems in the text. Um, Boaz is obviously shocked. Um, Ruth's lying at his feet. Um, And that's another picture um, of Jesus. You know, we should be going to his feet. Um, And there's things that we can find when we're at his feet and things that Ruth wanted to find in Boaz at his feet. Ruth wanted to find a new home at Boaz's feet. So she um, here is um, making it very obvious to Boaz that she wants to be redeemed. She wants him to be her kinsman, uh, redeemer. And we can find a new home in Christ. You know, we have found a new home in Christ if we're, If we're Christians, John 14, one to three, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So we can find a new home at Christ's feet. The second thing she was hoping to find was a new hope. You know, it seems so hopeless for Ruth and Naomi at the start of Ruth. Um, You know, their their family is dying. They're in the famine. Um, So she wants a new hope. Um, with Boaz and the hope of a a future for her and Naomi. Hebrews 13.5, this is why Christ is our hope. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Christ is with us always. He is our hope and a new happiness. She wanted happiness. She's been mourning. She's been in a time of trouble and she wants a new happiness. Christ should be our happiness um, and I think that's a big challenge because we live in a society where we try to fill our lives with all these silly things that don't really matter. Um, you know, is Christ really your happiness? First Peter one and eight: Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, know that, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Is that how you think about Jesus? Is that how you think about the Savior? Um, I know that's a challenge for me. Verse nine. Um, yeah, He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Um, this is another cultural act um, when we talk about the wings. Um, when Ruth's talking about Boaz's wings, she's talking about the bottom of his skirt or his robe. Um, so she's pulled those up, um, and his legs are now out. Um, but this is a very cultural way of claiming a wife um, in the Old Testament. Um, and if you even think about today in Jewish weddings, when they tie the, the talith around their wrists, they both put their wrists at the front. Um, it's the same sort of thing. Um, it's claiming a wife, claiming a woman as a wife. Um, but this is Ruth proposing to Boaz. She's telling him to put his cloak or his wings around her. Um, she's making it very obvious to Boaz. Um, I think men maybe sometimes need that um, mm-hmm. to make it very obvious. I remember when Jill and I first met, um, She actually sent a text that said, I fancy you. Um, So she was actually telling me that this morning, not just because she's not here. That's true. Um, She's making it very obvious to Boaz that she wants to marry him. Um, And God uses the same terms to describe Israel, his people. Um, Ezekiel 16 verse 8 um, says this. When I passed by you and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So God speaks about that, about Israel, his his people, in the same terms of of claiming them as his wife. Um, You also see um, that Ruth calls herself um, a servant in verse 9. And she's called herself a servant to Boaz before. Last week um, in chapter 2, verse 13, um, she approaches Boaz and calls herself a servant. Um, and that was um, like a lowly, like what you would expect from a servant, a slave. But when we read the word servant this time, um, it's a much more personal term. It's it's a term that has relationship with it. She's basically saying that she wants to marry him. She's making it very, very obvious that she wants to marry him. Um, for your redeemer, the end of it. Um, again, another bold statement made by Ruth, but it's it's not inappropriate. Um You know, Boaz actually has this responsibility, this legal responsibility on him to redeem Elimelech's family. So she's just making it very clear that um, she wants him to marry her. Verse 10. um, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Um, And this shows a lot about the character of Boaz. Um, You know, a young girl coming to your heap grain of or your heap of grain in the middle of the night, a secluded area, maybe in the mountains or in the hills, no one around. Um, you know, this shows a lot about the character of Boaz. You know, he has the right to to force Ruth on him, or force himself onto Ruth. He has the right to claim her um, and to marry her, but he's righteous in his conduct. Um, he doesn't do it that way. Um, he's very pure. Um, and it also shows a lot about the character of Ruth. Um, we know that Boaz is an older man. Um, we know that Ruth is a lot younger than Boaz. Um, so she's basing her attraction for Boaz based on the respect that she has for him and based on um, you know the, the, the character that he is. Um, so she's also righteous in her conduct. Um, and that's that's a picture of Christ, isn't it? You know, Boaz is quite surprised that Ruth um, is attracted to him. And if you think about it, you know, this is a, a really wealthy man who owns a lot of ground. Um, he's a very eligible bachelor, and there's this Moabite woman um, who's lost her husband. She's a widow. She's got nothing. She's a servant in his field, and she's coming to him. And he's surprised that she's a, that that she's attracted to him. Um, that's another picture of Christ. Isaiah 53, verse two. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So it's another picture being painted of Jesus Christ and what he is like. Um, you know, it is strange that Boaz is shocked about this. You know, but um, and the word kindness that Boaz uses here, there's not, there's not really um, from the Hebrew to the English. There's not really a good translation. There's no word that's comparable in our language. The the word kindness is really It's it's kindness, love, loyalty, grace, mercy, all of that sort of wrapped into one word. Um, And God uses that quite a lot to to talk about the love he has for his covenant people. Um, And realistically, it's a love from God. So it's a love that can only be explained because it comes from God. So God shows this love to us as his people, and then we are to show it to others. So that's the the lesson to learn from there. Um, Verse 11. And now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. So Boaz is also attracted to Ruth. You know, he doesn't say, for all my fellow townsmen say that you're really good looking. You know, he says that she's a worthy woman. Um, So uh, Boaz is attracted to Ruth because of her character. And the word that he uses, or that sort of sentence or phrase he uses, is the sort of language that's used in Proverbs 31. And it's quite interesting, actually, when I looked into this, that... um, Ruth in our Bible comes straight after Judges because historically that's where it fits. Um, But in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth came um, straight after Proverbs. Um, And if you go to Proverbs 31, actually, um, you just turn there quickly. So Proverbs 31 is the last chapter in Proverbs Um, and that last chapter i don't know from from verse 10 to verse uh, 31 that i don't know if it's um, got a wee title in your bible but in mine it says the woman who fears the lord and at the very end of that um you know he talks about how you're, it, he just basically describes a perfect woman of the lord so if you look through that just as i'm speaking if you're a bit bored with me speaking um you can look through that and see all the characteristics that ruth has Um, that that woman in the last chapter of Proverbs has. So it's interesting that straight after Proverbs, if you're an Old Testament Jew, if you're an Old Testament Israelite, you read Proverbs, you read Proverbs 31, you see what the perfect woman is, and then you go to Ruth, and we see that Ruth is that woman. Um, So there's a a, a real parallel made there. Um, We'll move on because we're going out of time. Go to Verse 14. So she let his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city. Um, So Ruth spent some time at Boaz's feet. Um, And that's another picture of, of how we should be with Jesus. We should spend time at Jesus's feet. We should approach him often. And there's benefits that we can receive from being at the Redeemer's feet. Um, The first thing is that Boaz received her. So he let her lie there. Um, And in John 6, 35 to 40, um, Jesus talks about um, how he has come to receive us. Um, So he received her and we can be received. He reassured her. So he let her lie there, reassuring her that although he hadn't given her the answer because there might be this other Redeemer, um, that he's going to redeem her if no one else will. So he reassured her. And if you read Matthew six twenty five to thirty three, you see that that we are re- reassured um, because our heavenly Father looks after us, um, so we can be reassured at His feet. And He rejoiced over her. Um, you know, He said that He He said about what sort of woman she is. She's a worthy woman. Um, he's rejoicing over her. Um, Zephaniah three sixteen. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, "Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save." He will rejoice over you with gladness. So the Lord rejoices over us if we spend time at his feet. Uh, verse 14, but he arose um, before anyone could recognize anyone. So really early in the morning, um, she gets up and she leaves. And that, again, seems um, seems tense and it seems risky and it seems like they're trying to cover something up. But they're not trying to cover it up for Boaz's reputation or to, because it seems impure. Um, they're trying to cover it up because... Um, there's this other kinsman redeemer and Boaz is really concerned about him. So he wants to make it very fair for the other kinsman redeemer if he wants to redeem Ruth or not. Um, So he leaves it completely up to him. Um, Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Um, And that shows us that the Lord provides for his children. So Boaz provides for Ruth. Um, He gives her six measures of barley and put it on her. So we don't know what those six measures are, you know, but... Most people say that it would have been quite heavy because he had to put it on her. She couldn't just hold it up herself. Um, So he provides abundantly for his children. Um, And then verse 18, um, final verse. Have a look. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So she's patient, um, and she's patient in the love of Boaz, knowing that he will sort the matter out today. Um, and that love, um, there's a couple of aspects of God's love shown in the passage if you look through it again. So we see patience, Naomi and Ruth, waiting at the end. So they don't really know what's going to happen. They don't know if the other Redeemer's going to step in and marry Ruth. They don't know if it's going to end up being Boaz. But they're patient in God's love, waiting for, for his will. Um, they've got protection in God's love. So Ruth and Naomi went, want Boaz to protect them. That's, why, that's what the Kinsman Redeemer's for, to protect um, and we know that the Lord protects his people. There's purity in the love. Ruth and Boaz are in a tempting situation. Of course they are. But remember that this is a time that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, and actually, there's a there's a good um, parallel of that in Genesis 19, um, 30 to 38. Um, and that's Lot. Um, that's actually where Moab came from. Um, Lot's son slash grandson. Um, Moab was... The, the son of his daughter and his daughter um, had a son with her father. Um and there's so many parallels in that we don't have time to go through them now. But um you know they were both drinking at the time so Boaz had um eaten and drank and he was resting. Boaz got drunk. You know he he took the temptation too far um, and he got drunk. So the first parallel um and then they both left with seed. So Ruth left with seed. She left with grain to feed her family. But Lot's daughters left with seed, but they left with sons that were immoral and um, from incestuous relationships, Um, and one of those sons was Moab. So if you're an Old Testament reader, reading um, Ruth before you read through it and you read it the first time, you see this Moabite woman who comes from something that's so disgusting and so immoral and so wrong, Um, and you think that's where she's come from, but actually she's the perfect picture of purity. Um, uh, and then just to skip on to the end um you get peace at um through God's love you get peace so now i look at the position that Ruth and Naomi are in um compared to where they were in verse or in chapter 1 you know Naomi changed her name to Mara she thought that the lord had forsaken her and look at what she, what the lord has done but now look at the peaceful situation that they're in you know they're able to rest they're now getting close to having a redeemer um and actually just as i was thinking about that um i came across a story about Horatio Spafford, um, who was a wealthy businessman in 1871 in Chicago. Um, And he had four children. He had a a son and three daughters. And in 1871, his son died of pneumonia. Um, He was just a young boy, died of pneumonia. Uh, Later on that year, the great um, Chicago fire happened and all his businesses were burned down. So he lost his son. He lost all of his property, all of his business. Um, So he decided that Um, he would move to England to start a new life with his his daughters and his wife. So he put his daughters and his wife on a boat to to England across the the sea um, while he took care of some business. Um, And as they were going across, the boat collided with another ship and his three daughters drowned um, right in the middle of the sea. um, And his wife survived. So when Horatio heard the news, then he made his way over to England. um, And he asked the skipper of the boat, to stop where the, his daughters had drowned in the same sort of spot. And when he was sitting there thinking about his daughters and probably thinking about his son and everything that had happened, how everything had gone so wrong, much like Ruth and Naomi, he wrote the words of number 324 um, that starts, um, It is well with my soul, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Um, and just as I read that, I just thought that's, that's the peace and the love that we see in Ruth. You know, this man's lost absolutely everything. Um, he's lost his family. He's lost his business. He's lost his homeland. He's going to somewhere completely foreign to him. And he's sitting on the spot where his daughters have drowned. And he's able to write, it as well with my soul. Um, I just thought that was amazing. And we read that in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. i um, will just finish there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love um, to your people. Thank you that um, there's so much we can learn from your word, Lord. And even if we read something the first time and it seems not right to us, um, there's always lessons that we can learn um, from you. Lord, I just pray that as we go through this week, um, you would help us to apply these things to our hearts um, and help us to, to, to think about them and to act on them. I just pray all these things in your name. Amen.